You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, September 30th, 2021. I'm Cota Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news, and I'll tell you about an unusual animal spotted near Fort Collins. After that, Eliza Droder will update us on CSU Athletics, and then you'll be hearing a conversation between myself and Google cybersecurity expert Grace Hoyt. Then Coda tells about new updates on Biden's infrastructure bill and the continuing case of Britney Spears' conservatorship. In honor of International Podcast Day, we're featuring KCSU's music podcast with local bands Slow Caves and Wildermas. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and explaining some updates on technology with the FDC and Congress. To conclude the show, I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon reporting for KCSU and Campus News, and we're towards the end of our sixth week of classes. The women's volleyball team won against Wyoming on Tuesday, September 27th. This is the team's third win in a row from their last three games. The CSU public safety team sent out an email on Wednesday, September 29th, as a potential stalking situation was reported. The man who was reported has engaged in repeated student activities, and a female saw him outside of her off-campus residence, and he was taking photos of her. CSU PD has taken steps to protect the victim, and to read more information, you can visit safety.colostate.edu. CSU has responded to white supremacist posters that were posted on campus on September 10th. According to Natalie Wayland and Noah Pasley of the Collegian, hashtag CallOutCSU, a student organization, formed in the wake of these incidents and organized a campus protest to encourage action by the administration September 17th. President Joyce McConnell met with the student leaders of the group, and after hearing their demands, she directed the consultation team for incidents of bias to handle the demands. CSU stated that any materials that do not meet those guidelines are routinely removed, regardless of content, in a statement to the Collegian. Anybody who experiences or witnesses an incident of bias can submit a report on biasreporting.colostate.edu. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. and always listen to KCSU. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is 90.5 FM, and now you're going to be hearing from Ivy Winfrey about local news. If you miss any part of the show today, be sure to check out at kcsufm.com news. Hey, this is your local news for today. A mysterious emu was spotted along a Fort Collins trail and survived a collision with a truck. According to Aaron Udell at the Coloradoan, Fort Collins resident Lydia McCracken said she spotted the emu while walking along the Poudre River in Fort Collins's McMurray Natural Area with her grandparents Saturday afternoon. The emu, which was estimated to be five feet tall, ultimately walked away from the group, heading down a trail in the natural area. McCracken called animal control shortly after, and they responded within half an hour, she said. Fort Collins police also responded, but neither agency was able to locate the bird at that time, according to police in Larimer Humane Society. Police received another call around 6 p.m. after an emu reportedly collided with a truck around the intersection of College Avenue and Vine Drive. By the time officers arrived, a passerby had put the animal into her car and offered to take it to the CSU Veterinary Teaching Hospital. Fort Collins Police spokesperson Kate Kimball says in an email to the Coloradoan, quote, The emu was initially stunned by the collision but revived itself on the way to the veterinary teaching hospital, end quote. The passerby apparently did get the bird to the veterinary teaching hospital, which was able to locate its owners. Kimball said her understanding was that the emu was picked up by its owners on Sunday. While emus are not native to Colorado, they are considered to be domestic animals by the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife and thus are not regulated. Colorado's Independent Redistributing Commission has finalized the state's next congressional map. According to Nicholas Riccardi at the Associated Press, since the U.S. Census Bureau delayed releasing its new population numbers for several months due to the coronavirus pandemic, redistricting is happening at breakneck pace this year, as both political parties are attempting to shape maps that benefit them. The new Colorado map must be formally approved by the state Supreme Court, but it culminates the process to redraw lines in the fast-growing state to add a new congressional district located in an area north of Denver. 
The commission also made relatively minor changes to the state's other seats, preserving a 4-3 to three balance of districts in favor of the Democrats. Colorado is one of three states in the U.S. that has shifted to an independent commission system since 2010, after its voters in 2018 approved a pair of ballot measures lying out a new process. The commission to bid for six hours Tuesday night before approving the map on an 11 to 1 vote. The map will now go to the Supreme Court for approval, which is seen as a largely a formality unless there's a legal challenge. Fort Collins has ended its voluntary water shortage watch. According to a city press release, Fort Collins interim city manager Kelly DiMartino signed a declaration in order to end the water shortage watch October 1st. The water shortage watch was enacted because of possible limitations on Fort Collins utilities' ability to treat Cache Laputa River water supplies following the Cameron Peak fire. Thunderstorms and flash floods cause sediment, ash, and debris from the burn area to periodically flow into the river and impair water quality. These runoff events, in addition to irrigation demands during what was a high, uh, a hot and dry summer, had the potential to create a water shortage. This is the first time a voluntary watch had been declared following implementation of the Water Shortage Action Plan. The impacts to the watershed and river quality are expected to be long-term. City Utilities maintains water quality meters within the Upper Poudre River to provide early warning alerts to water treatment staff before the post-fire pollution can reach the supply intake. City Utilities also is partnering with other organizations on post-wildfire watershed restoration and recovery efforts with the goal of stabilizing hill slopes, reducing erosion, and limiting water quality impacts to the Poudre River. As a part of this effort, wood mulch is being applied by helicopter to approximately 5,000 high-priority acres in the burn area from mid-July through early September. City Utilities continues to monitor source, wa- monitor source water quality. The severity of the watershed impacts from the Cameron Peak and East Troublesome wildfires, drought conditions, and snowpack levels. Depending on the severity of these conditions, City Utilities may look to the community for help reducing water use when necessary. Stay updated on the status of City Utilities' water quality and supply by visiting fcgov.com waterstatus or emailing savewater at fcgov.com or calling 970-416-8040. That's all the local news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and we'll be right back. This is DJ Catslock, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. In CSU football, their last game on September 25th, the Rams lost to Iowa in Iowa 14-24. Our rushing leaders were Ajon Vivens with 17 attempts for 45 yards. Quarterback Todd Sentio with 50 yards rushing and 17 attempts and one rushing touchdown. Our top receivers were Trey McBride with 16 receptions for 59 yards and E.J. Scott with two receptions for 51 yards, and Gary Williams with the one receiving touchdown for the Rams. On the defense, the teams had three sacks for 21 yards loss, Scott Patchen with seven total tackles and one and a half tackles for a four-yard loss, and one sack for a three-yard loss. Daquan Jackson had six total tackles and three tackles for 14 yards loss, and Devon Phillips with a sack for 10 yards loss. For quarterback Todd Sentio, he threw for 155 yards, 
16 for 30 in passes with a 53% completion rate. He was sacked three times and had no interceptions. In women's soccer, the girls lost their last two games 0-1 to at home against San Diego State and New Mexico. Their next match will be at home against Fresno State on Friday at 8 p.m. In women's volleyball, the girls won all three of their home games 3-0. to Kennedy Stanford was leading in kills and total attacks, getting her the title of Mountain West Player of the Week. Sierra Pritchard led in assists, and Alexa Romeliotis led in digs. Their next match is against Fresno State in California on Thursday. In cross country, the most recent event, the Bell Dillinger Invitational in Oregon. In the women's division, the Rams finished second, and in the men's division, the Rams finished sixth. Their next event is the USSC Open in October. In women's tennis, the Rams began their season at the Bedford Cup against Air Force in Colorado Springs. Radka Buskova and Matija Mahavik became the doubles champions of that tournament, beating the duo from Northern Arizona. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csuram.evenue.net for student tickets for volleyball, football, and more. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. I'm joined today by Google cybersecurity expert Grace Hoyt to discuss cyber safety as we move into Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Thanks for joining me today, Grace. Thanks for having me. So to start off with, IBM says that the average person made 15 new online accounts during COVID-19. How exactly does having more online presence and more accounts make someone less safe from cyber attacks and identity theft? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. COVID really changed the way we use the internet. Um, So as you mentioned, new accounts, myself included, whether from streaming or buying groceries or video calling, uh, folks created many new digital accounts during the pandemic. And at the same time that that's happening, we're also seeing that cyber attacks are on the rise. Um, So as we spend more of our times, more of our lives online, it's increasingly important to keep your information safe. For sure. And then Colorado State University, where our um, radio station is, um, as well as a variety of other institutions, have implemented the two-step verification on their campuses and with their employees. So what does two-step verification actually do to ensure that no one else is getting onto your account? Yeah, so two-step verification is a um, really important tool. Um, And the way two-step verification works is that it adds a second layer of identity verification when you're logging into your accounts and devices. So if you just have a password to log in, that's a basic password. But if you have two-step verification, you input your password and then you have a second way to verify. So typically, that would be someone's phone and they could receive a text message with a code or a voice call if they prefer. And the reason why this is important is that If a hacker does, in fact, get access to your password, if one of your passwords is compromised, they they still can't get into your account because it's not enough to get into your precious personal information um, because they don't have your phone. They don't have that second layer of authentication. All right. And then while we're on the topic of passwords, um, many people use the same password for just about everything, and often those are pretty weak passwords. So can you tell us why that might be a dangerous move and what tips you have for making a new password for those looking to increase their security online without two-step verification? Yes. Um, so you're, you're spot on um, in terms of uh, repeating passwords. Uh, about 60% of people reuse the same password across multiple sites. And we also know that an estimated 81% of data breaches are due to poor password security. Um, and one part of poor password security is repeating passwords because if a ha- hacker gets access to one, um, they can get into a variety of your accounts where you've used that same password. Um, the good news is that Google has a really easy tool to help with this. Um, you can use a password manager. So Password Manager is the latest advanced security technology to store, generate, and manage your passwords so that you don't have to. Uh, Google's Password Manager is built right into your account and browser. And one thing I love about it as well is that it will automatically notify you when one of your passwords has been compromised. Um, That way you can change it right away with a simple click. All right. And then... Relating back to that, since you're coming from Google, what are some other ways that your company is working to increase security for its users as ransomware attacks become more frequent? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So our security engineers are working really hard to eliminate entire classes 
of cyber threats, um, including ransomware and phishing. Um, so one great fact is that there have been no reported ransomware attacks ever on any business, education, or consumer or Chrome OS device like a Chromebook. All right. And then what is the most common way that cyber attacks happen to individuals or small organizations? Yeah, so kind of what we talked about earlier in terms of passwords, um, poor password security we're really seeing is the, you know, 81% of data breaches breaches are coming um, through that avenue, which is why it is so important that folks have strong passwords, they have differing passwords across accounts, and they use a password manager. And then Fort Collins, the city that our station really serves, has a really strong small business community, and small businesses often share passwords with a variety of employees as it ends up being needed. So how can small businesses use Google to protect their company from uh, potential cybersecurity issues? Yeah, so we work really hard to make sure all of our products are secure by default, um, but you are going to want to use two-step verification um, when signing in. And small businesses can find a lot more information about what tools are available to them on our site, safety.google.com. Is there anything that you'd like to uh, share with listeners about cybersecurity that we haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, I want to share one really exciting tool. Um, It's called Security Checkup. Um, So it's kind of um, of the three things that we we talk about folks doing. It's that password manager, two-step verification, and then this new tool called Security Checkup. That's in your Google account. Everybody has it, and it actually gives you personalized and actionable recommendations to help strengthen the security of your Google account. Can you tell me a little bit about some of those recommendations that might show up? Yes. So it's probably, if you're not using a password manager, it's probably going to tell you to do that. Um, The same goes for two-step verification. Um, There's also, um, it's really custom to you. So uh, one example um, that I like to use is if folks are working in a profession that makes them more visible to the public or um, they're in a situation where they might be a a target of of cyber attacks, perhaps they're a politician, journalist, or otherwise, um, the security checkup will note that and say, uh, hey, we we think that you might might be at an increased risk. Um, we recommend that you take a step further to protect your account and enroll in a security key and enroll in Google's advanced protection program that's free for folks who are at higher risk of cyber attacks. So it really just depends on your personal situation, um, your digital activity, and kind of your risk profile, and Google will create custom tips for you. All right. And then something else that I was wondering is with all of these other cyber attacks, how is Google helping with um, these larger corporations and companies that are getting really severe ransomware attacks basically left and right? Yeah. So um, Google's, you know, as I mentioned before, Google's engineers are really, you know, really strong at defending against ransomware attacks. Um, You can also check out um, additional tools on our Google Cloud site if you're a cloud customer. I think that's a really helpful place to go. Um, But Google has has definitely been um, a leader and continues to be a leader in the space in terms of looking at not just, you know, the the common existing threats, but really looking, thinking ahead, looking forward. Um, So, for example, the fact that we announced earlier this year that two-step verification will be automatic for all of our account holders um, is just one example of ways that we're really trying to be, stay on the cutting edge and stay ahead of these threats. All right. Thank you so much again, Grace. Thank you. All right. Again, that was Grace Hoy, a cybersecurity expert coming from Google to speak with us about how our community can protect itself during Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We'll be right back with national news on the Rocky Mountain Review, only on KCSU Fort Collins.
Do you hate having paper coupons? You know, I'm not the biggest fan. Well, buddy, old friend, old pal, I have great news for you. The official coupon book of CSU has an app now. No more paper. Dude, that's revolutionary. The app is available on all Android and iOS devices and can be accessed anywhere. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses, cowboy. What kind of deals are we talking about? Good question, my spicy friend. There are coupon discounts available all throughout the Fort Collins area. That is so rad. Ram Deals is a publication of Rocky Mountain Student Media, which is CSU's official student media outlet and partner of KCSU. I'll download that right now. I can't wait to use these puppies. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Grace Hoyt of Google about observing cyber safety. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News Highlights on KCSU Fort Collins. The case of ending Britney Spears' conservatorship returned to court in Los Angeles Wednesday and resulted in her winning her way out of the conservatorship under her father. According to Rachel Treisman from National Public Radio, Spears and her attorney worked for the past few months to end her father's role in the conservatorship, with her father recently agreeing to petition the court to remove himself from it. It's unclear if removing Spears' father alone leaves her other conservator, Jody Montgomery, in charge of her health and well-being. Montgomery has remained in charge of this aspect of her life for several years. Spears is now able to make decisions related to her finance without approval from another person, though. According to CNN's live updates of the hearing, Spears said of the conservatorship that, quote, I'm traumatized, I'm not happy, I can't sleep, end quote. She also claimed that she was put on lithium against her will and that she was not allowed to go to a doctor to remove her birth control IUD or get married to her fiancé. As she leaves her conservatorship under her father, starting a new family may be an option depending on the role Montgomery plays in her health. Former Alpha Tau Omega fraternity members of the Washington State University chapter pled guilty to providing alcohol at an initiation event. According to Andy Rose at CNN, Sam Martinez, a 19-year-old WSU student who was pledging for the fraternity, died of alcohol poisoning in November 2019 at the initiation event. Maxwell Ravango, Cameron Thomas, and Nolan Valkic pled guilty to one count of furnishing alcohol to a minor. CNN says that the three were not accused of supplying alcohol to Martinez specifically. The former fraternity brothers were sentenced to serve one day in jail, pay a $500 fine, and spend the next eight months on probation. In addition to this, the three were ordered to complete alcohol and drug information school and attend a DUI victim's impact panel. The students will not be charged with hazing due to the expiration of the statute of limitations, which happened while evidence was still being obtained by the Pullman Police Department. At the time of his death, Martinez's blood alcohol limit was nearly five times the legal limit. Alpha Tau Omega is unable to operate at WSU until May 2026 as a result of the incident. President Joe Biden continues to work with Congress to put his $3.5 trillion infrastructure plan into place. Biden canceled a trip to Chicago Wednesday, which would have been focused on COVID-19 vaccinations, to continue negotiations with Congress members. The plan would increase taxes on wealthier Americans in order to improve quality of life through transportation, health care, education, Internet, and more. One Biden administration official says that there's a, quote, strong sense that progress is being made when it comes to the policy. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona have expressed concerns about the price of the infrastructure bill, but haven't given a number they'd be willing to work with. Uh, work with. Tuesday, Biden met with the two senators, who are notably centrist, to discuss cuts that would be possible to the bill. White House Secretary Jen Psaki said the president is, quote, not going to tell anyone what to do. He's going to have a discussion, have an engagement, end quote. Congress is facing deadlines with the debt limit, and as Congress members work to decide whether or not the debt limit will be raised or if the vote can be temporarily suspended. United Airlines, like many other companies in the U.S., requires all its employees to receive the COVID-19 vaccine or to be terminated. According to David Shaper of NPR, 99% of United's U.S.-based employees have either been vaccinated or applied for religious or medical exemptions. The 600 remaining employees who did not get vaccinated by this past Monday or submit a, an exemption now face termination from the airline. In a, memo for, in a memo sent to employees, United CEO Scott Kirby and President Bret Hart said, quote, Our rationale for requiring the vaccine for all United's U.S.-based employees was simple, to keep our people safe. And the truth is this. Everyone is safer when everyone is vaccinated, and vaccine requirements work. End quote. 
Those who applied for an exemption may be put on temporary leave later on, but United is waiting for a federal decision on the appropriateness of an unpaid leave of absence for unvaccinated employees. The memo addressed that the remaining less than 1% of unvaccinated employees without an exemption would be terminated based on United's policy. Delta, Hawaiian, and Frontier Airlines also require employee vaccination or of similar policies. Delta technically doesn't require vaccination, but charges against unvaccinated employees an additional $200 in health insurance fees due to the cost of hospitalization. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Hello and welcome back to the KCSU Music Podcast by KCSU-FM. I'm Lindsay, one of the music directors here at KCSU, and today I'm coming at you with a concert review about a live show I most recently saw. So recently, I was blessed up with a chance to go see local bands Slow Caves and Wilderness at the Aggie Theater in Fort Collins. I'd never been to the Aggie before, although I know it's been around for a long time, literally over a century, having been built in 1906. It began as a furniture store, then turned into a movie cinema until 1995 when it was reborn as a live music venue, so it's been a hot spot for entertainment for a long time. It's fun to imagine the nights out and the lives of all the people who have gone to a show there. And finally, after my four years of living in Fort Collins, my own thread was tied to the Aggie. Or, more accurately, my own beer stains sunk into the sticky, cheap drink-infused wood floors. Let me set the scene for you. The venue opens into a level with two different bars and benches lining either side, split mid-room by a pit for the sound and light engineers, and then dropping slightly into a wide, dark dance floor set before the stage. It was around 5pm when I arrived. Early, yes, but I had a purpose. I was setting up the green room for the bands. I'm an intern for the nonprofit Sustained Music and Nature, and this was actually an event they were hosting to raise awareness for both public lands and local bands. Thus, I had a free ticket to the show, the only caveat being that I helped here and there with things like setup and sustained silent auction. The green room was off to the side down a set of stairs, and made me think of the friend's house you always crash at on the weekends in high school. You know, the one with the mostly finished basement and a mini fridge to stuff your takeout in? There was some counter space, a sink, a couple thick leather couches, a TV, and a sign on the wall advertising ABCDs. There was also a vanity with somebody's curling iron and makeup bag set on top of it. Lauren, Sustain's other intern, and I were setting up the food we'd brought for the artists. Seltzers, cheese and crackers, hummus, and vegetables fresh from our supervisor's garden. As we did, footsteps approached, and suddenly the room was packed with people, the people making up the band Wilderness. Lauren and I were surprised when the lead singer, Emma Cole, addressed us by name. She smiled and pointed to the name tags we were wearing from an earlier sustain event, and we laughed. The whole band was very kind and said they'd just been walking around town a little bit before the show. Lauren and I left the green room and went upstairs to see Slow Caves doing their sound check on stage. The lights were up, and various venue workers were spaced out around the band as they tested out their instruments, shouting to each other and making adjustments to fit the environment and get the sound up to show quality. Everyone was very well-mannered throughout the process, and this being the first soundcheck I'd ever seen, I thought of the movies I'd watched depicting big stage rock and roll bands shouting orders with little regard for anyone else. Slow Caves was not that band. A little while later, the venue doors opened and a few people started to trickle in. I'll remind you that this was an event put on by Sustain rather than the bands or their labels, and actually, Sustain had originally told Lauren and I that they were hoping to sell several hundred tickets, but when the opener, Miguel Avina, began his set around 7pm, 
There were maybe 20 people spread throughout the whole theater. It's too bad, and everyone who wasn't there was seriously missing out. For starters, Miguel had on this beautiful jacket that looked like it belonged to some divine disco suit, all done in silver sequins that glittered beneath the colored lights on the stage. His hair was huge and surrounded him in long waves. His look perfectly matched the flowing warmth of his voice. He sang in Spanish for most of the set, so I unfortunately can't tell you exactly which songs he sang, but his voice was lovely to listen to, and his presence was tangible. Miguel grew up in Mexico, where his father was also a performer in the hard rock band El Crow. He played lead guitar for his father's band as he got older, and became passionate both about playing music and entertaining those who had shown up, grateful to be able to give back that energy. In an interview with Denver's 303 magazine about the accessibility of Latin culture in the city, he mentions that Latin music is all about movement, is infused with movement one way or another, which reflected in the set that I got to see. I can only describe him as a summer night sky full of stars. During Miguel's set, the sound engineer running the board caught my eye. I'd seen him helping out Slow Caves with soundcheck and asked what he was doing. His name was Max, and he invited me in the pit to show me the board. He explained how the musician's instruments were hooked up so that he had control over the sound environment, making sure everything was well-balanced and avoiding any odd tones or pitches, which takes a trained ear. He said that he was frustrated because there was a weird clicking sound due to someone's guitar input jack not being clean, and that was something he wasn't able to fix from his spot in the engineering pit. There was too much on the board for me to make sense of it all in one go, but it was so exciting to peel back another layer of what makes for a great live music experience. Miguel Avina's set came to a close, and I looked around to see a few more people had filtered into the venue. They were oddly all sticking to the sides of the room instead of getting out in front of the stage. Why wouldn't you go for a front row spot? But I guess that's not my business. And anyway, it left more space for Lauren and I to dance without risking bumping into other people. Because now Slow Caves took the stage. Slow Caves formed back in 2014 between brothers Jakob and Oliver Mueller and their childhood friends David Dugan and Jacqueline Paris after they'd played in various bands throughout high school. They've toured extensively and have opened for acts like Modest Mouse, Cold War Kids, Cake, and Third Eye Blind, which speaks to the heavy impact they've made in the Denver indie rock scene. They've released several EPs and one full-length album, 2019's Falling, which is much of what they played for us. They opened with the song Girlfriend, which starts out kind of gently before quickly breaking out into a jamming rock number. Right off the bat, their performance was bright and dynamic, and with quite a full lineup of instruments. I saw four different guitars, with Jakob and David doubling up on bass and vocals, and a drummer out back as well. They jumped around stage, and I really loved the classic alt-indie expression they gave off. Something about it was like a photo captured in sepia tones of people messing around and relaxing on the beach under the sun. I'd gotten an iced tea beer, which was really the perfect complement to their surfy sound. They played songs like Falling Through the Clouds and my favorite of theirs, Speaking in Tongues. But what really stole the show for me was the covers they played. Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit and Faith Hill's Kiss Me, both of which were absolutely excellent. Kiss Me was especially unexpected and so fun to hear. Slow Caves is a band I'd definitely go see play again, and their most recent single, Before I Leave, just came out if anyone wants to hear the latest from this great local band. In between Slow Caves and Wilderness's set, I noticed a woman standing alone watching the show near the back and struck up a conversation with her. She had this beautiful, sparkling winged eyeliner and looked really glamorous. She told me her name and that she'd been coming to see shows at venues all around Fort Collins since she was in the sixth grade. That night, she was there to see Wilderness, the evening's main act, but had arrived in time to see Miguel Avina and Slow Caves as well, as any hardcore local music fan does.
Finally, there was a solid crowd of a few dozen people in front of the stage, just in time for Wildermist to come on. Wildermist is also an indie rock band from Denver. Emma Cole sings and plays synth, Joshua Hester plays guitar, and Caleb Thumke is on drums. They played their first show together in a basement in 2016 and have since been headlining shows all over Denver, supporting acts nationwide, and have released a couple EPs and several singles over the course of their career. The first comparison that came to mind as I watched Wildermist perform was Paramore, because they had that same high-production alt-rock with an edge, though there was still something classically Denver about them. All band members were outfitted in shirts and pants in shades of peach pink. Joshua had long hair covering his face as he ripped on the guitar, which apparently did not inhibit his playing skills and I think actually made him more powerful as a classic rock and roll guitarist. As Emma jumped and kicked and danced on stage while switching back and forth between vocals and synth, you had to appreciate the band's talent as performers. Their presence felt like something big stage, like they belonged at Red Rocks. You couldn't take your eyes off Emma or the power she projected in her singing. The set included the songs Fake, Super Magical, and Starfaced. They said they appreciated the intimacy of the show and their act got us all dancing in full capacity. At this point in the evening, Lauren had left, so I was dancing alone, and I want to inform everyone that this is a total vibe, and only lame people think it's lame to be alone at concerts, if you were ever wondering. And also, when a band as great as Wildermist is playing, you're just lucky to be there experiencing it. They were great, and I hope they come back to town soon. The sets had ended, the songs had been played, our bodies and hearts had been moved, and it was time for the evening to come to an end. I was just helping Sustain wrap up their silent auction when Jakob of Slow Caves approached with his partner Celia. They introduced themselves, and Jakob expressed his appreciation for the event. He was very charismatic and well-mannered, and said he was really just happy to give people a reason to go and have fun again. These are the types of experiences that give me so much joy and make me feel so lucky to be around Fort Collins, where our local music scene is filled with some really amazing and talented people. It's awesome that we get to support and entertain and express ourselves to each other. And if you haven't been to a show around town yet, there's always tons going on and it's worth looking into. You'll probably end up having a really great time. And there's few experiences that engage the body, mind, and soul like live music. Thank you to Miguel Avina, Slow Caves, and Wildermist for their performances, and to Sustain Music and Nature for hosting the event. And with that, my concert story comes to a close. Thank you so much for checking out the KCSU Music Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay, one of the KCSU music directors, and I really appreciate your supporting local college radio. Have a great day, and make sure to tune in to 90.5 FM or go online to kcsufm.com to see more of the cool stuff we do. Radio is alive and thriving people. Get into it. Catch you next time. can't deal listening to the same three songs anymore. Take out your phone and let me put you on to something different. Which is? KCSU. The student-run radio station at CSU makes it easy. They're on the TuneIn app or you can stream them live on kcsufm.com and browse some of their articles or podcasts. What if my phone is from ninth grade? Can I still get TuneIn? You can find TuneIn on Google Play or the App Store. Put some variety on your playlist only at KCSU. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. We featured an episode of the KCSU Music Podcast, which you can check out by visiting kcsufm.com and navigating to the podcast tab. 
I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to COVID-19 Updates for Thursday, September 30th, 2021. Colorado State University reports over 3,600 cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty at the university. Two new cases were reported Tuesday and were equally dispersed among students and staff. 87.5% of students reported full or partial vaccination, while around 8% of students set an an exemption from the vaccine to CSU. Around 85% of employees are fully or partially vaccinated, and around 7% sent in an exemption to the university. Larimer County and the Centers for Disease Control report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Larimer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, students take the fo- residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you are not already. Wear masks indoors and in crowded outdoor settings regardless of your vaccination status. Be sure your mask has a snug fit and consider wearing a KN95 mask or surgical disposable mask. Disposable masks can be adjusted by tying knots in the ear loops. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, considering, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited households. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or potential symptoms. The county reports over 35,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 285 deaths. In the past seven days, the county recorded a case rate of 197 per 100,000 residents. There were 66 COVID-19 patients in county hospitals Wednesday, and ICUs reached over 100% utilization. Hospitals are starting to decrease in cases being treated there, but vaccinations are crucial to lowering overall hospitalization levels. The state of Colorado reports over 667,000 cases of COVID-19, and over 7,800 people have died of COVID-19-related complications in the state. Over 3.4 million Coloradans are fully immunized, with the state providing over 7.2 million shots so far. All 50 U.S. states report unchecked or escalating community spread of COVID-19, but some U.S. territories have potential community spread or are close to containment, according to NPR, meaning that they're overall in a better state than the mainland U.S. The U.S. has over 42.9 million cases of COVID-19 and on average is increasing by over 119,000 per day. Deaths reached over 688,000 Tuesday with a daily increase of nearly 2,000. In the past two weeks, cases went down by 18% while deaths increased by over 21%. Information from today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, the Associated Press, and National Public Radio's Coronavirus Tracker. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of today's episode, be sure to check us out on Spotify by searching KCSU News. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of today's episode, be sure to check us out online at kcsufm.com news or by going on Spotify and searching KCSU News. I'm Kota Babcock, and this is Tech News for Thursday. YouTube shut down two of Russian state broadcaster RT's German channels for violating rules on coronavirus mistreatment or misinformation. According to Ger Mulsun at the Associated Press, The German RT channel already received a strike over previously uploaded material which violated the platform's standards on distributing misinformation related to the virus. In response to being suspended over this first violation, RT created a second German YouTube account to continue posting from. YouTube shut both down because this violated its terms of use. RT editor-in-chief Margarita Simonian said of the channel's removal, quote, I'm looking forward to my native state banning Deutsche Welle, and other German media in Russian in Russia without delay, not to mention sanctions on YouTube, end quote. One Kremlin spokesperson said that the actions were akin to censorship. YouTube has been threatened with fines if they choose not to restore the platform. German government spokesperson Stefan Seibert said of the action that this move was exclusively done by YouTube and its parent company Google, and the German government had no say in the matter. 
China released two imprisoned Canadians after Canada agreed to release a Chinese Huawei executive. The imprisonment lasted over a thousand days and is to blame for some of the issues in U.S.-China relations. Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig were sent back to Canada at the same time as Meng Von Zhao, Huawei's CFO. The, can- the Canadian men returned with obvious signs of significant weight loss and were originally detained on Chinese espionage charges. Meng was detained in Canada after U.S. orders based on suspicion that she'd broken American sanctioned laws. The deal to return both the Canadian men and the Chinese executive back to their home countries was handled by the U.S. Department of Justice. Meng attended a virtual court hearing Friday about her charges, and federal prosecutors agreed to defer prosecuting her so long as she complies with the deal made in the court hearing. Her charges charges are expected to be dropped in a little over a year. Congress is looking looking to the Federal Trade Commission for support over new privacy issues and debates. According to McKenna Kelly at The Verge, the first series of data privacy hearings came Wednesday, with the focus being on protecting consumer data on social media and search platforms. The Senate Commerce Committee discussed a new privacy, privacy bureau at the FTC after Congress struggled to pass any laws related to maintaining consumer privacy in the tech world. With several U.S. states enacting their own privacy laws, Congress and the U.S. government face more pressure than ever to make nas- nationwide poli- privacy laws. The Verge says that the FTC has the best position of all involved groups to create new privacy regulation laws, and the FTC chair was called on to make the organization draft its own privacy rules. That's all for Tech News. I'm Kota Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Now for Weird News. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes things need to get a little bit weird, so here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world. A Danish artist was given $84,000 to reproduce a previous work of his art, only to pocket the money and call it conceptual art. According to Taylor Defoe at Artnet.com, Take the Money and Run is the name of the piece by artist Jans Hanning. For its current exhibition, the Kunsten Museum of Modern Art in Alabog, Denmark, lent Hanning 534,000 kroner, or about $84,000, Per their written agreement, the artist would exhibit the banknotes themselves, effectively recreating a pair of artworks he made in 2007 and 2010 that represented the average annual incomes of an Austrian and a Dane, respectively. However, when the museum opened up the box containing Hanning's piece, they found two empty frames. The banknotes were absent. Hanning told Danish radio program P1 Morgan last week, quote, The work is that I have taken their money. It's not theft. It's a breach of contract. And a breach of contract is part of the work, end quote. Hanning explained that he conceived take the money and run in response to the low compensation offered by the museum for inclusion of the show. According to him, he would have had to pay 25,000 kroner, or about $3,900 himself, to realize the two older artworks, and that to do so misses the point of the originals, which presented a quantitative snapshot of a moment in time. The museum, for its most part, is going along with the stunt, at least for now. Hanning's empty frames are among the works of dis- on display in Work It Out, the venue's ongoing show about the role of artists in the larger labor market. But, come the exhibition's end in January, the museum will m- want its money back, as the contract stipulates, but Hanning has no plans to return it. When asked if the museum would consider filing charges against the artist, a spokesperson told Artnet News, quote, Right now we'll wait and see. If the money is not returned on the 16th of January, as agreed, we will of course take the necessary steps to ensure that Jens Hanning complies with his contract, end quote. A Turkish man presumed to be missing attended the search efforts looking for himself. According to writers at the Daily Saba, Bayan Multu, a Turkish citizen in northwestern Bursa province is Ingol district was reported missing early Tuesday after his loved ones lost touch with him for several hours. The man, after meeting his friends, went into a forest while he was drunk, where he was joined a group in an area who were helping Turkish authorities find himself. Later on, upon inquiring, Moltu learned that it was indeed himself they were carrying out the search and rescue efforts for. Authorities later gave the missing man a drive home after taking his statement. An actor in a haunted house accidentally stabbed a boy in the foot after using a real knife as a prop. 
According to Ian Cross at ABC News Cleveland, officers in Berea, Ohio, were called to the seven floors of hell haunted house at Cuyahoga County Fairgrounds at about 8.15 p.m. Saturday for a call of a male stabbed in the foot, according to the police report. Officers spoke to staff members and learned that an 11-year-old boy there with a family friend suffered a cut on his left big toe. Witnesses told officers that one of the roaming outside actors at the haunted house was using a large Bowie knife as a prop to scare people. They said the 22-year-old actor, identified as Christopher Pogaleski, was scraping the knife on the ground in front of them, then began to stab the ground at the boy's feet when it went through his Croc-style shoe and cut his left foot. Officers confiscated the knife from the actor, who told police he had brought it from home and that he was using it instead of the provided prop knives. He admitted to officers that, quote, using the knife was not a good idea and the injury was an accident, end quote, according to the police report. The knife was confiscated and taken as property in connection with the incident. Rodney Geffert, president of Night Scream Entertainment, which owns Seven Floors of Hell, says that actors are not allowed to touch customers and can only use the rubber props provided by the company. But Pogaleski went back to his car that night and grabbed the Bowie knife that night without their knowledge. Geffert says that, quote, The police took the knife and I made it real clear with him, you don't go to your vehicle and get something out like that. We just don't do that. End quote. Geffert said he'll have to make a decision about whether to keep Pogaleski employed at Seven Floors of Hell. Pogaleski was sent a notice of summons as being charged with negligent assault, according to the police report. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now, for the weather. Today we saw partly cloudy skies with a high of 64 and a low of 44, with low winds and about a 10% chance of rain. Friday, you can expect almost identical weather, with a high of 68 and a low of 47. Moving into the weekend... Saturday will warm up to a high of 71 with a low of 45, once again with partly cloudy skies. Sunday will continue the trend, warming up to a high of 75 and a low of 46 with mostly sunny skies. Monday, clouds head out of the area with a high of 76 and a low of 46. And Tuesday, we will see mostly sunny skies with a high of 77 and a low of 47. And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in this upcoming Tuesday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any of our segments today, as always, check us out online at kcsufm.com news. I'm Coda Babcock, and information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Melissa Ronaldo, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.